0: Welcome to Chillicothe Bible Church. Today is a good day, isn't it? Life life is good and God is good. He reigns forever over us. He guides us. He protects us. He loves us. He indwells us by his Holy Spirit. He gives us every blessing in the heavenlies. It's a good day. I found out some good news this week. Found out that I am not dying of a heart attack, which is always positive. Um, uh, on Thursday, I went into the ER um, on Thursday morning because I was having pain in my chest right here, which is the left side of your chest, which is where it's, you're not supposed to hurt there ever. Um, and they ran all kinds of tests. They did, uh, they did an EKG. They did two blood enzyme tests. On Friday, I got to lumber along on the treadmill um, and all of which came back with the conclusion that uh, no, you're not only not having heart problems, your heart is fine. But what you do have is either a pulled muscle between your ribs or pleurisy from all the hacking and coughing you've been doing for the last month. And so they gave me a prescription, a leave, and sent me home. And I, th- I, I had this thought. So I just spent $750 on an ER trip over an $8 bottle of pills. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yep, that's what we're telling you. Mr. Horn, you're fine. Go home, you know. But um, so I was encouraged about that. Um, hopefully you're encouraged with me. Uh, <laughs> and you're not going, dang, <laughs> we had our chance. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but anyway... Um, I want to draw this back in now. Um, uh, I, ha- I am feeling better, those of you who have been praying for my health, so thank you. Um, and the hacking and coughing has gotten quite a bit better. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be looking at some more parables of Jesus, three parables of the kingdom here this morning. And, and these are a different type of parable than maybe you're used to. Uh, a lot of times when you see the parables of Jesus... Uh, what you see is a is kind of a longer story with a pointed ending, where Jesus is trying to teach a, spe- a specific spiritual truth through analogy or through an allegorical type story. Well, these are more of a this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, and there's not there's not too much story, but there is a point that's given, and there's a hidden spiritual truth that's there that's available for. For Those with eyes to see and ears to hear, but is concealed from those who are rejecting Christ and not interested in what he has to say. Uh, and as we saw last week, Jesus is speaking in parables so that he can reveal truth to those who want it while concealing it from those who have rejected him. And he's doing this for a couple reasons. Number one, he's, been gra- he's being gracious to the hard hearted so that they are not held even more accountable before God. One of the things Jesus consistently teaches is that to whom much is given, much shall be demanded. And that if you know a lot about Jesus, you are more accountable to God for how you respond than if you know a little and have rejected Um And so Jesus is being gracious to those who are hard-hearted toward him so that on the day of judgment, when they stand before God, they will not be held as accountable as they would be if they had clearly understood everything Jesus was saying. So that's one reason he speaks in parables. The other reason is this, is that his message is revolutionary. And it can get him arrested and, in fact, will get him arrested and killed at some point when he begins to speak more clearly. And it's not revolutionary in the sense that we use that word. A lot of times in our culture, you know, you, you'll, you'll have like an infomercial, you know, and you'll have like the ShamWow guy on there, and he'll go, this is a revolutionary new cleaning product, you know. And you, if you watch those late at night, I've discovered uh, the, the appeal is a lot better. <laughs> it really is. I mean, I remember having, having, having trouble sleeping one night and I was up, and they had Ron Popiel, you know, from the Ronco rotisserie. And I was like, man, that looks good. i got to have one of those. We did not buy one. But I really thought about it. You know, it really sounds good. Because, it was, I mean, it's revolutionary, right? Okay. When I'm talking about Jesus' message is revolutionary, I'm talking about, like, what's going on in Iran right now. Where there's, gonna, there are, uh, there's a group of people who are advocating the overthrow of the existing governmental structure. And Jesus is talking about that kind of revolution. About a a turning over of the existing world order and, uh, and appointing himself king. Now, this is during the height of the Roman Empire, during the period of time in history that was known as the Pax Romana, the Roman Peace. Do you think there would be anyone who would have a problem with this? There'd be a few people, right? Caesar for one, Herod for another. The Jewish religious leaders for yet another group of people, which is why, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, the Herodians, the supporters of Herod, and the Pharisees, the ultra-Orthodox religious Jews, who are who both have spheres of power that Jesus is looking to overturn, why they both get together and decide, okay, well, this guy's got to go. We've got to get rid of him. Jesus' message is revolutionary and he is concealing it because it's not yet time for his ministry to come to an end but he wants to still be able to teach the interested and those who have ears to hear and eyes to see and so he speaks in parables and so that no one can accuse him of leading a revolt so let's look at here at um at mark chapter four we're going to pick up in verse 21 A little shorter passage here this week than last. Uh, Chapter 4, verses 21, and we're going to go down to verse 34, okay? He said to them, do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And even more, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like a man scattered seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Now, as this passage begins, I take it that Jesus has stopped talking to just his disciples and that he is now back talking to the crowd. And that's not totally clear initially, but down in verse 33 and 34, it seems clear that the them he's talking to is the crowd. And so I take it that here in verse 21, he's also back talking to the crowd and that Mark has shifted the scene from being with the disciples alone to now being back among the crowds and teaching. Uh, Because he's speaking in parables again instead of plainly. And the first of these parables is known as the parable of the lamp. Uh, In Jesus' day, a lamp was a common household object. Uh, it was usually made of clay. It had an open top. Uh, it looked kind of like a gravy boat, okay, or like that lamp that you see with Aladdin and the genie. You know that he he rubs and out comes the genie, and you have three wishes, right? It looked kind of like that. It had a, it had a circle in the middle um, that you put the oil in, and then you and a spout at one end like a teapot. And you would put the uh, wick down the spout, and then you would light that wick. And it would draw up oil through the wick out of the reservoir in the middle, and it was a common household object. Every house had a number of these. In fact, you can you can still buy them today. Uh, if you go to the Middle East to an antiquities dealer, they'll have thousands of these because they still find them, dig them up all everywhere. Uh, everybody had this kind of thing. They were usually made out of pottery. Uh, in nicer homes, they'd been made out of uh, gold or silver, but. Um, but it was just, it was a little thing to give off light, because houses in those days were, if you had a nice home, it was made of stone, um, you know, masonry with joints in between and so forth that were mortared, but most of your common people had a house uh, made out of, you know, adobe-type material or, you know, mud brick. And there were generally very few windows, um, you know, just for security purposes, you, you'd didn't want a lot of windows. And uh and there weren't a lot of openings to the outside, and and because it's if you do it that way, it's cooler. If it's 120 degrees outside, what you want is shade and some darkness where it's a little cooler. But you also want to be able to see, and so what they would do is take one of these lamps and they would light it and they would put it on a stand in the middle of the room and then it would illuminate the whole room where you could see. <laughs> now, there, were, there was one time of day when you would conceal the lamp. Uh, if it, if you've, any of you ladies have ever had candles, you know that if you put the lid on, the, on your jar candle, what happens? Flame goes out, right? Or, or if, you, um, if you put it underneath something, eventually fire runs out of oxygen and it goes out, right? And so you would put it under a bowl to snuff the flame. Uh, or you would blow out the flame and then stick it under your bed in case you had to make a midnight run somewhere. Um, okay, it was available where we could, we could get to where we could see. Um, and you did that at night. But just because you did that at night when it was time to sleep did not mean that you were fulfilling the purpose of the lamp, right? The purpose of the lamp was to give off light, not to be concealed under a bowl, not to be stuck under the bed. It was there to give off light. And Jesus is saying, by the way, if you want to understand this parable, this is, what, this is one of the things that you need to understand, okay? Verse 22, whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. In other words, the purpose of a lamp is not its not—it's not under a bowl decoration. It doesn't go under your bed. It goes in the middle of the room where it can fulfill its purpose, which is light. But he draws this analogy and says, look, there's a time when it is concealed. But during the daytime, it's meant to be brought out. And who's the lamp? Or what is the lamp? Well, Jesus is the lamp. And He is meant to be brought out into the open and everything about Him disclosed so that His light can shine forth. But just like at night, this is not the right time. This is not yet the right time. He is keeping the full revelation of His light hidden at the present time. But just like a lamp, Having his light hidden is not his purpose. Everything that is now hidden about Jesus is going to be disclosed. Uh, Concealment now is serving the purpose of being open later. The hardness of Israel's leaders means that Jesus has to cloak his words in darkness until the appropriate time. In fact, you see throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus make that statement several times. My time has not yet come. In the last week of his life, he's being as open as he knows how to be. It's their last chance. So he is bringing forth everything into the open. And by the way, uh, a lampstand was normally about yea high because the taller it was, the more light it would give off because it would project to a wider area, right? And Jesus is telling them there's going to be a time when I'm going to be like a lamp, lifted up where everybody can see the light that I give off. <sighs> People will realize, you know, one of the things I, 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 I saw I joked about one time was uh, I wish I wore glasses because this, this would be better then. But, you know, uh, you ever watch the old Superman cartoons? Okay. And, and you think, man, how, how dim a bulb must Lois Lane be, okay? Uh, Clark Kent takes off the glasses. Superman, Clark Kent, Superman, right? It's like, did the guy never take off his glasses at the office? Uh, I mean, and yet somehow she never figures it out. Okay? Um, but there's, what Jesus is saying is that there's going to come a day when the veil is going to be lifted. And people will realize that he is not just Clark Kent, that he is actually Superman, right? Or to put it in theological terms, that he is not just Mary's kid, the son of the carpenter from Nazareth, that he is, as Mark says, verse 1, the son of God, the Messiah. In fact, even a Roman centurion is going to recognize it. You remember that part of the Gospels? where Jesus dies and the tombs break open and many people who have been dead are walking around again and the curtain rips in half and there's an eclipse of the sun. As Jesus says, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And even a Roman centurion, a pagan, says, surely this man is the Son of God. The day is coming when Jesus' light is going to be revealed, but right now, like a light under a bowl or under the bed, is concealed. He's going to say, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. What's he saying? Is the kingdom coming? Yes, it's here. And I'm the king, but you'll have to wait to see it fully revealed. Uh, In verse 24 and 25, he says, Consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. What's he saying? That doesn't make any sense. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. What? I thought you just said he didn't have anything. Uh, Jesus, you're not making sense. Here's what he's saying. Okay? If you recognize Jesus for who he is, you will be given more and more and more disclosure of the glory and the majesty and the greatness of Jesus. But if you refuse to recognize Jesus for who he is, even the little glimmer that you have will get increasingly hidden from you. Let me give you an an example, okay? Any of you have been to a glassblower shop? Um, I like to go to glassblower shops. I I don't like the little blown glass stuff that they make, but I like to watch the process. I think it's cool. Uh, They get this pipe, red hot, and they've got this molten glass on the end, right? And the next time you go into one of these places, just reach over when he sets his little pipe down and pick that pipe up and see how that goes, okay? Don't actually do that, (laughs) okay? Okay. Because it is red hot, even though it doesn't look like it, and it will burn you. And you know what? It burned him the first time he picked it up, too. But what happens is, as you get burnt progressively, you get calluses on your fingers, to where now it's hot, but you can't feel it anymore. And the same thing happens with people as they're exposed to truth. That if you do not accept and receive that truth, you get a callous on your soul. And you become increasingly, over time, blinded and deaf. You get calluses, And even what you have is taken away, where you no longer have any sensitivity to the things of God anymore. If you accept Jesus for who he is, then more and more and more clearly you will understand in all of its fullness who Jesus is. But if you reject him, then even the initial light that you had will get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer to where you are incapable of seeing Jesus for all that he is. Uh, All right. Jesus is saying, believe in me now so that the light that you have will get brighter rather than dimmer. Uh, the parable of the growing seed, this is the next one. He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground, and night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, and he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, uh, he sends forth the sickle because the harvest has come okay interesting uh, this is back to uh, a parable of farmers and seed again uh you know we know a lot more than jesus original hearers knew about botany and about how things grow right uh i remember from high school botany you know you had the monocotyledons and the dicotyledons and you plant them in the ground and cotyledon feeds the seed until it grows the little root and then you get the first actual true leaves that come out and all you know all that right Okay, you get your you get pollination and you get um, photosynthesis happening and all that, right? Uh, it's all very exciting, yeah, snoozorama. <laughs> but um, so we know a, a lot more about the process by which this occurs, but what actually makes a seed grow? Well, you can talk to a botanist and they'll talk to you all about chemical reactions and nutrients in the soil and blah, 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 okay? But what makes it grow? What put that process into place? Well, God put that process into place. So that when you go out and plant the seed, you don't have to worry. Hmm, wonder what's going to happen. I planted corn. I wonder if I'll get asparagus, you know? Uh, no, uh, <laughs> you'll get corn, Right? God causes it to grow all by itself, and Jesus is saying, look, even if you don't understand the process by which something grows, God is bringing it about. It happens whether you, I mean, you can can plant your garden and go take a nap, right? Because it's God who's going to cause this to happen. Whether you go out and look at it all day and just stand over it, or whether you go in and sleep, the growth is going to occur quite apart from you god's kingdom according to jesus is just like that that god has a plan and a purpose and a process already set in in place that he is not only working for eternity he has been working from eternity to bring this about is the kingdom going to come in other words yes are you going to have anything to do with whether it gets accomplished not necessarily Because God is sovereign, and His sovereignty extends over all people, whether they are opposed to Him, whether they are with Him. God is going to accomplish His plan and His purpose. It's going to happen. Regardless, there's nothing you can do to speed it up, nothing you can do to stop it. Just like a seed planted in the ground has to grow, so God's kingdom is going to come to fruition, whether you like it or not. Right. Hopefully you like it, but even if you don't, God's kingdom is still coming. God's purpose is going to be fulfilled in its proper time, just like the coming of the grain harvest. When the proper time has elapsed for the grain to be ripe, then the harvest comes. When the proper time has come for the kingdom to come, it will come. Because God's purposes will stand, whether we're on board or not. Finally, the parable of the mustard seed. Uh, it was proverbial among the Jewish people of Jesus' day that the mustard seed was the smallest of the seeds. Uh, and according to what they planted in the ground, it was the smallest. And, and even today, there, there are, we know of smaller seeds than the mustard seed. But this is the, the smallest one that was normally planted in a Jewish garden. Uh, apparently, they ground it and, and used it like we used it as a condiment for meat. Okay? Um, But a mustard seed is this little tiny thing, and when you plant it within weeks, weeks of planting it, it grows huge. In fact, some of the varieties around um, North Africa and the Mediterranean where, where, um, where Jesus grew up and lived grow 12 to 15 feet high in the matter of weeks and that's some kind of plant, Uh, 12 to 15 feet high. And from one little seed produce hundreds of seeds. And the plant gets big enough, as Jesus notes, that uh, even the birds can come and sit in the branches like it's a tree. And it grows from something about the size of a pinhead into this giant thing. What's the point? The point is, is that the kingdom of God right now, at the time Jesus is speaking, is small. Jesus is traveling around speaking and talking to people, and what they see is this insignificant rabbi whose only clothes that he owns are the ones he is wearing, who as he travels around is supported by wealthy women Uh, who have means to support him and his few disciples that he's got. I mean, there are these big crowds, but Jesus has just a few disciples. And just like that, the kingdom of God starts out small. I mean, if you met Jesus, you would not automatically be impressed. Because here's this probably bearded rabbi, a guy who grew up blue-collar, uh, he does not look like the bearded lady of the Renaissance paintings. He's he's this he's probably a muscular, rough-sawn, tough-looking guy. Wearing the only clothes that he owns. And here's kind of this band of scraggly blue-collar fishermen, who are following him around. There's a tax collector in there, and one guy who wants to who's a zealot who wants to overthrow the Roman Empire by force. But he's got his sword sharpened. And it's All this stuff that Jesus is talking about, about revolution of the kingdom of God, I'm down with that. Let's get the swords. <laughs> okay. So he's got the zealot and the Roman collaborator on the same team, which is, I'm sure, interesting. Makes for good interpersonal relations. A couple sets of brothers, one of whom he names the Sons of Thunder because apparently uh, they were erupting all the time with one another. Uh This is not an impressive group. Just like a mustard seed is not an impressive thing to look at. You look at it and go, that's it? But what happens? Jesus' glory is revealed in his crucifixion and in his resurrection. And then within weeks, there's growth. 500 people see Jesus resurrected from the dead, according to 1 Corinthians 15. According to Acts chapter two, there's 120 disciples gathered in the upper room where Jesus ate the Last Supper with his disciples. Uh, so at most, if those are two exclusive groups, you've got 500 people following this obscure rabbi from Nazareth. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, and 3,000 people are added to the church. And then a couple within a couple years after that, the church has grown so significantly within Jerusalem that they become a threat, and they get persecuted and driven out and scattered all over to Antioch and points elsewhere, including, according to church history, all the way to India with Thomas. Uh, and then Paul, the, uh, or Saul of Tarsus, the former Pharisee, uh, gets converted on the road to Damascus, and he goes off planting churches all the way across the Mediterranean. To where now this little seed has grown and and is starting to become this huge plant, to a point now where I don't know if you know it or not, but 25,000 people become followers of Jesus Christ every day in this world. 26,000 new churches are planted every year around the globe. Over 2 billion people claim, in some sense, to be followers of Jesus. Did the plant get big? son it got big <laughs> okay and if you believe what the bible has to say the reach of this plant will extend to every people and language and tongue and tribe throughout the entire globe so that every person every people group every tongue every language will all one day bow their knee before God, either acknowledging Him as Lord or acknowledging Him as judge. And all of that is going to happen out of this little, insignificant, seeming thing. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which when planted in the ground does not look like much. But when it comes... spread out, such that even the birds of the air can find place for shade. (sighs) Has the kingdom of God come? Well, I believe not in its final form yet. Uh, The kingdom of God at the moment is spiritual and remains among the people of God who acknowledge him as their king. There is a kingdom that is real, that exists among the people of God in the church. But there is yet waiting a day when Christ will return and he will rule and reign, as Revelation says, on the earth from Jerusalem for a thousand years. And then there will be a new creation, and I believe that's the fulfillment of God's promises to the Jewish nation, that a son of David would sit on David's throne from Jerusalem. And then after that, there is a judgment at a great white throne. And all of the people of God are caught up together in a new heavens and a new earth reigning from a new Jerusalem that descends out of heaven from God, which is, I believe, I think 15,000 miles square, something like that, okay? And the reign of God extends across the entire earth, and there is no one left on earth at that time who is not a follower of God. Of Jesus Christ. kingdom has not come in its final form. But it's here. And it's real. Even though it's a spiritual reign as yet. And not yet a physical reign as it will be. But for those who acknowledge Jesus. The kingdom is here. Uh, and then of course. The last couple of verses. Um, Jesus, It says that Jesus spoke many similar parables to them as much as they could understand in other words to the extent that people had ears to listen and to receive what he was saying he explained as much as he could he was given it out as fast as they could take it in and hoping to spark curiosity and bring them in where he could disclose everything openly and help them to become followers of Christ now, with these parables, I have done my best to explain clearly what they mean, um, to peel back the, the, the curtain over them, and to explain them clearly to Jesus' disciples just like He did, because I hope that all of us are disciples of Jesus just like these men and women were. But, I, and, and I got to tell you, I got really excited this week because... This was, this was the first time I really understood a couple of these parables in what Jesus was saying. I was like, oh, shazam. It only took me four years of seminary and nine years as a pastor all right, <laughs> to really get it, okay? Um, always exciting when that happens. Um, but, and I hope that maybe you have understood them in a fresh way this morning. But understand this either way. Maybe I was the only ignorant one among us, okay, Uh, and everybody else was, was way ahead of me on understanding what Jesus is trying to teach. But regardless, either way, the objective in studying this book is not informational. It is not informational. As my professor of church history at Dallas Seminary, John Hanna, says, he goes, the Bible is not meant to make us all smarter sinners. (laughs) <laughs> okay? <laughs> That's true. The Bible is not meant to make us all smarter sinners. The Bible's goal is not informational, and God's goal for it, in as He gives it to us, is not informational. It's transformational. It is meant, or as Howard Hendricks used to say, he would say this. He would say, gentlemen, the goal of Bible study is application, you know? And we would try to you know do it in his voice um to one another later at the commons but um but let me say this to you okay the goal of studying these this these stories in this book is not so we can go well that's a really cool story hmm i learned something i never knew the kingdom of god is at hand for those who follow jesus isn't that interesting that is not the point and if that's all you get out of this you have missed the point The goal of studying the scriptures is life change, transformation into the image of the Son of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen? Okay, so now that we got that squared away, let's look at some things that have to do with this passage and how that relates to your life. If Jesus is the lamp, and I believe that he is, then his light is meant to be revealed, amen? Amen. And it was revealed most clearly, obviously, in his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. But Jesus' light is also meant to be revealed in us. And that we are meant, in a sense, to serve as the stand on which Jesus sits to give off his light. You know, the old Sunday school song goes, you know, uh, I'm going to let my light shine, right? Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. We don't have any light. As much as I like the song, we don't have any light. It's Jesus who is the light of the world. And our job is to lift him up so that he gives light to everyone around us. So that his light is clearly revealed. So, let me ask you. Is your life like a lampstand which allows Jesus to shine brightly to everyone around you? Or is your life like a dark corner under a bed or under a bowl which obscures the light of Jesus and prevents it from being revealed to everybody else? If there are dark corners of your life or dark areas of your life that prevent Jesus' light from shining, I have such good news for you because I think it's true of all of us at points. But I have such good news for you. The Bible says in 1 John 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't say, if you Confess your sins and walk a Girl Scout across the street. If you confess your sins and are nice to old ladies and puppies, okay? If you confess your sins and give money to church. If you confess your sins and attend church. All of these are nice things. But it's if you confess your sins, then God will cleanse you. And if there are dark areas of your life... You need to go to God directly and say, Father, forgive me, I have sinned. You need to repent and find grace and healing. Another thing here. Jesus' identity as the Messiah, the Son of God, was hidden from most people and only revealed to Jesus' disciples until the proper time had come. But as Jesus makes clear in this passage, since He is the lamp, remaining concealed and hidden is not His purpose. What he had explained in secret to the disciples is meant to be proclaimed from the housetops. In fact, he says that. He says, "The things which I have disclosed to you secretly, you proclaim openly. What I've said in the inner room, shout from the rooftop. In other words, our a part of our assignment post crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, is to make him famous and to proclaim him to everyone we know. How are you doing on that? We have our, our wall of fame over here, okay? Uh, of these folks that we know, we put this up about a year and a half ago, of the people in our circle of relationship as Chillicothe Bible Church, these people that we know who do not know Jesus Christ, and we pray for them every week as part of our prayer time together. In the last year and a half, we have had four people on that wall come to faith in Jesus Christ through the influence of one of our people in this congregation. I think that's great. I think we need to celebrate that and be excited about that. But you know what else? I see a whole lot of other names. And our job is to shout from the rooftops that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, who offers cleansing and forgiveness and can make you whole and adopt you into his family as a son or daughter of the living God. And if we're not doing that, then we're being unfaithful to what Jesus has asked us to do. So How are you doing on this? One more thing. Finally, as we've seen this morning, God's plans and his purposes are not dependent on us, right? They are like a seed that a farmer scatters on the ground and it grows whether he sleeps or whether he gets up. Because God has a plan and a purpose in mind that he is going to achieve regardless of us. But the great thing about God's plans and purposes are the, uh, is this, that He allows us the privilege, the magnificent, marvelous, unique privilege of participating with Him in what He is doing. He allows us that privilege. He gives us gifts, in fact, within the body of Christ to help us accomplish the purpose that He has in mind for us, for the church, for the world and let me ask you, do you know what, what your little part that God is allowing you to have is? And if you don't know, when are you planning to find out? And if you do know, how are you doing at obediently carrying out the expansion of God's kingdom and the accomplishment of His purposes and plans for your life and for those you know? How you doing? You only got so long, you know. Next trip to the ER might be the real thing. Right? You don't know how long you've got. But I know this for sure. You do not have all day to participate in the plan of God. You've got today while you live. And as long, you know, I've said this before. As long as you are still alive, God still has a plan for your life. Do you know what it is and are you accomplishing it? And if not, why not? Because we are not here for ourselves. We are here for Jesus to follow and love and serve and obey him. Right? Let's pray.